Uh, howdy, Rock Hill. Good morning to you. If you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. If you just make a comment that we know that you're there, it's sometimes hard to know by estimation if you're there with us or not. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to, uh, to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. I don't know if you're at a place in life, I don't know what your last two weeks have been like, but you might be in a situation where you're presented with a moment in time and it could go one of two ways. It could go really well or it could go really poorly. It's 50-50. You you do this one thing and it could go well or you do this one thing and it could be an utter disaster. And when I say utter disaster, what I mean by that is like you could die. I mean, it could just be that bad, right? Right? I don't know if you've been in those situations and if you've been in those moments. You may be in college and God is calling you to forego your degree. You've, you've got almost done with your degree and you're going to finish your degree, but God is calling you to missions and it's going to require you to, to actually not use your degree that your mom and dad have been so faithful to pay for. And they're looking at you saying, you've done this degree for three and three-fourths of a year of of years, and and you're now going to not do that degree that you've majored in, and you're going to go serve the Lord overseas. Your friends are telling you it's wrong. Your parents are telling you it's wrong. Your grandparents are going to pay for it, but they're going to tell you it's wrong. They love you, but they're saying, I think you're making a mistake. But you believe, by God's grace, this is the step of faith you need to take. Let's say you're at your job, and your job is asking you to do something that maybe compromises your convictions. And you have the chance to either say, you know what, I, I've got to stand up and say something. And when I stand up and say something, I'm probably going to be served severance pay, very small severance pay, and be sent shopping basically for a new job. Or I can stand up with my convictions and things go well and I get a promotion. I mean, this is the extremes that I'm facing. Maybe you've got a family and your family's established, and maybe God's calling you to adopt, and you're thinking, man, I, I mean, I, I can't even feed the mouths I got in front of me. How am I going to add another child? I mean, this could be really good, or this could go really poorly, but I know it would make the difference in one child, but maybe somebody else can step in and do that. I, I've got enough on my plate as it is. You're at a point where you're going to have to step out in faith. Here in Esther chapter 5, We see a moment with Esther that she has to make a decision now. I've got to step out in faith. It's going to go really good for me or it's going to end in my death. These are my only two options. And she sits here in this moment and we're going to to see today what Esther does in the middle of all of that. Now, if you ever watched a TV show, and I know you have, okay, You have a show and maybe there's a storyline happening and then all of a sudden something happens in the storyline and it splits. You know what I'm talking about. And so they, they, this is how they make more money. They give you more commercials. They then have a whole other storyline that takes place while this other storyline is still happening. You following me here? Have you ever seen the Marvel movies? I mean, this is what happens. Spinoff after spinoff after spinoff to force you to go to the movie theater, which isn't open anymore. So they, that's what they do. All right. Here in Esther chapter five, we have the spinoff. So today, we're actually going to look at two chapters of Esther. You went, oh no. Yeah, buckle up, buttercup. Here it is. Two different chapters because there's two different storylines that take place. We're at a moment where Esther has to make a decision. We've understand the story that she's been in this moment where all the Jews have been set to be exterminated, to be eliminated from all of the earth. That's some 15 million Jews. 
We, we have now how uh, Esther learns that Mordecai is mourning and he's torn his clothes and he's in sackcloth and ashes and, and he's standing there in the city gates wailing and she sends him some clothes to put on and he rejects those. And so now they go back and forth on an email, email exchange, maybe a text message exchange. They've, they've upgraded to text messaging. They're texting back and forth the situation that's going on. She is then made aware, and he tells her, maybe, perhaps God has put you where you are for such a time as this. And that's where we pick up in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you're there, will you say word? On the third day, that's after the three days of fasting, Esther dressed in her royal clothing. She got dressed up, y'all. And she stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor in his eyes. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What's happening here? You remember? If anybody comes into the courtyard that wasn't invited, the Persian law said, you're dead. This is the law. She's not seen her husband in 30 days. She's been married to him for five years. She's not heard from him, seen him, spoken to him in 30 days. She walks into the courtyard not knowing what's going to take place. And we've passed now the first turn. He extends the gold scepter. She touches the tip of it, and she is granted entrance in. Now look at verse 3. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her, whatever you want, even, look at this, even to half the kingdom will be given to you. Boy, is he man of impulse. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman, remember he's second in command, come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, again, impulse, here it comes. The king asked Esther, whatever, I mean, blank check, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be done. Esther asked, this is my petition and my request. If I had found favor in the eyes of the king and it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. This could have been her moment, right? This could have been her moment to say, hey, I want you to save the Jews. Oh, no, but Esther's a little bit more shrewd and strategic than that. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. It might be just just across the page as it is in my text. Chapter 7, verse 1. The king and Haman came to feast with Esther the queen. Once again on the second day while drinking wine, the king asked Esther... Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even to the half of the kingdom, will be done. Queen Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your eyes, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life, this is my request, and spare my people, this is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and extermination. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes, spoke up and asked Esther, Who is this? And where is the one who would devise such a 
scheme. Esther answered, the adversary and enemy is the evil Haman. If you read the subtitle above your text like it does in mine in chapter 7, we're getting to the good stuff. Haman is executed. Woohoo! Yes! I'm not gloating in a man's death, but this man deserved to die. In chapter 8, we learn that Queen Esther saves the Jews by God's grace. We learn in chapter 9 that Esther then slaughters 76,000 anti-Semites, people who were against the Jews. I mean, this is, this is starting to heat up a little bit. I just want to ask the question, when I, when I read this, I look at this and go, who is this woman? I mean, think about this just for a second. We've learned about Esther in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and even into 4. Esther has been mild, quiet, compliant, go with the flow, twig in the river, Esther. Esther was the one who was submitted into a Cinderella-esque beauty pageant. She's the one who not only won the rose from the, the king, but she stomped on all the roses on her way in. I mean, Esther was the one who was compliant and did whatever she was told to do. This is the Esther that we've come to know. But now, I don't know this woman. You got this confident, leading, elegant, shrewd, strategic, strategery. I mean, this is the woman, right? She has got it going on. She has flipped the switch. She's turned the corner. She is regal. She is dressed to the nines. She is smart and crafty in how she goes about making possible this request. She doesn't just invite the king and doesn't ask him the first second she has a chance. She also invites the man who's responsible for all of it to dinner. She then at dinner calls him out by name. She is taking names, right? I mean, this is what this woman does. I don't know this woman. I began to think about this text this week and thought, is there any way that the people of God, thousand years later, can have a kind of transformation that she has? I mean, we've come to know Esther for a period of years now. I mean, we've known her for these five years, and this is what we've come to know about her. But then all of a sudden, the corner turns, and she's somebody that we did not know existed. Can the people of God change like that? You know, for many of us, we thought we knew who we were until we got to junior high. You remember junior high? Junior high was uh, a year of awkwardness, and we have photos to prove it. I don't know anybody in the history of man who's just really proud of their school pictures from junior high. I saved you from embarrassment. Well, really for me, from showing you my junior high picture, I'm not super proud of it. My teeth were misplaced. I mean, it was just a mess, right? But in junior high, you begin to struggle with your identity just a little bit. Trying to fit in, trying to find a place at the table with other people. And now you got to be socially distanced at the table. Trying to figure out who you're going to be and what you're going to like. You, you make bold proclamations in junior high. Trying to, to be who you think you ought to be. You're in absolute confusion in junior high. And you think by high school maybe I'll figure it out. You get to high school and all of a sudden you begin to see these groups begin to form. Athletics are over here. Creatives are over here. The loners, they're all together but they're over there. 
You got all these different subgroups and groups that are gathering together, trying to identify themselves and make themselves known, trying to figure out who they're going to be and who they are. It becomes a hot mess. And then all of a sudden in high school, you're getting close to graduation, and the question becomes, what's your GPA? Are you in advanced classes or not? Are you taking uh, college courses at the same time? Where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do with your life? You've got to figure out your career. I remember in high school being, having to take a test. I took a test on what career I was going to have. Who in the right mind would give a junior in high school a test to figure out who they're going to be? You graduate from high school, you go to college, and you think, well, maybe by college I'll figure out who I am, my identity. Maybe by college I'll have it all figured out. Then your identity becomes in college about who you root for, how big your school is, how good the football team is. However, you have zero to do with how good your, or bad your football team is. Just ask the Longhorns. I'm sorry. It wasn't in my notes. Just stick. You graduate from college. Oh, Lord. You graduate from college, and all these things begin to be pressed upon you. Who, who are you going to marry, right? Who are you going to marry? And you think, if I get married, maybe that will help to identify who I am. Who, who am I going to be identified as? You get married, and then you get married, and you think, well, this is going to fix everything. Maybe she'll help fix everything. Maybe he'll help fix everything. But then you realize that you've got two sinners under the same roof, and it doesn't fix everything. So then you think, well, maybe we have kids. And so you begin to wonder, can I have kids? And you base your identity on, can you have kids? And then just maybe, maybe for a season, you're not able to have kids. And you begin to wonder, my identity is it going to be based upon, can I have kids or not have kids? And then by God's grace, you have kids. And then you keep having kids, and you wonder, do we have enough kids? And then you begin to say, we have too many kids. And then you say, can someone please take my kids? Now listen, I want you to know, I think you should, by God's grace, have as many kids as the Lord allows. You should go for it all. But I'm just trying to bring home this point, that many of you have been pouring water into these different identity buckets, and they have holes in the bottom and there's going to come a day where you pick up that bucket and you realize it's completely empty because you've been putting the wrong thing in. You get to 40, what they call the midlife crisis, whatever that is, you begin to question your whole life. What have I done with my life? And you begin to make some really, some make some really interesting decisions at 40 and 40 plus, And then they get to their 50s and 60s. Then they get to look in their 70s and look back on their life and say, what has my life actually been? Can the people of God make a turn in their identity? Here's the rub. Some of us will never come to the place where we're actually honest about who God has called us to be. And because we've never confronted that and been honest with it, we never actually turn the corner and be who God has called us to be. But with Esther, we know the exact moment that she turned the corner. We see it in chapter 4, verse, verse 16. I know everybody makes Esther about a particular line in the story, but I think verse 16 of chapter 4 is the line that we see her turn the corner. What does she say? I put it on the screen. If I perish, 
I perish. This is her all-in moment. This is her moment where she says, hey, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I am going to be the confident. I'm going to be the one who's called. I'm going to be the one who goes at it. I'm going to be the one who gives it my everything. If I die, I die. If I live, praise God, I live. This is the moment in the story of Esther that, the, that everything turns the corner. She says, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to do the thing that I'm called to do. I'm going to step into this moment that perhaps God has allowed me to have. I'm going to have faith over fear. I'm going to be the person that I'm going to identify now with the Jewish people. Remember, she lived in a dualistic world. Esther was her pagan and Persian name. Hadasha was her Jewish name. And she's been fighting this identity crisis. She's been completely assimilated into the Persian culture, completely doing whatever the culture tells her to do. But now she's saying, I am a Jew. I am identifying with the people of God. I'm going to make it known to my husband, known to my king, known to the wicked Haman. This is who I am. Esther's in a pagan culture that does not like the people of God. You say, how do you know that? Well, hello. Anytime someone's going out to eliminate 15 million of the race of Jews, you can know with full stop. They are not fans of the Jews. I'm going to say something, and I mean it with a ton of grace and care. We live, even in America, in a culture that does not like the people of God. You can swap presidents out, but anytime in the public arena, someone's faith in Christ is presented, it's not seen as a good, but seen as a negative. It's used against you. We live in a pagan world. We live in a world that, to a degree, is increasingly becoming hostile towards people of faith. And we live in a tension because if you go public with it, if I perish, I perish, what's going to happen to you? If you make known the fact, hey, I'm drawing the line in the sand, I'm taking the step of faith, what's going to happen to me? We live in a pagan world that isn't steadily improving like some like to te teach theologically. I think we live in a world that is aging and, as Paul tells us in Romans, groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. And this is all the more important time for us then to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to an aging and dying world. If I make private my faith, I'll save some skin on my back. If I keep private my faith, I may get that job promotion, but if I make public my faith, I might not get that job promotion. If I make public my faith, I might not be and have the things that I think I could have. But, but think about this. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. He says, therefore, everybody. That includes everybody. Everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my 
Father, do you see the stakes? My faith, I'm going to keep private. Won't say anything. Just fly under the radar, twig in the river, going wherever it flows. But I think we're coming to a place in our society where we're going to have to go public about where we stand on some things. It's time for you and it's time for me to step out with courage. It's time to step out with conviction. It's time to step out with Christ-centered love for others. Even if you don't know how it's going to pay off. Taking that step is, makes you maybe a little nervous. Taking that step maybe makes you feel a little uneasy because you say, I haven't treated all those around me with kindness and care and compassion. And if I tell them I'm a Christian, it's going to look bad for all Christians. You know what makes Christians look bad? Is when they actually don't confront their sin in public. When they say, well, you're a Christian, you shouldn't act like that. You say, you know what, you're right. Christians shouldn't, but praise be to God that I am forgiven. I have repented. I've been forgiven. And Christ says he still loves me. And how I treated you was wrong, and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? That disarms all of the talk about hypocrisy. Esther goes public. She makes known her faith. Now, If you're at home... Set your coffee down. Write this down. This is important. Esther teaches us. Here it is. Esther teaches us that God's kingdom on earth is most alive when God's people are public about who they are. God's kingdom on earth is most alive. I'm not saying it's dead if you don't say anything. I'm just saying it is on display. It is made alive when God's people are public about who they are. Yes, I'm a Christ follower. Yes, I'm following Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm part of the way. Yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Yes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power that saves. I'm not ashamed anymore. I'm not going to withhold anymore. I'm going to make known to the whole. How will the world know unless we tell them the good news? And God, by his grace, has placed you wherever you are for that distinct purpose. Allow me for a second to pivot. Esther's done an incredible job making known these things. But I think there's a better and greater pivot moment of stepping out. And I think it's Jesus Christ. Particularly Jesus Christ at Calvary. Jesus Christ at Calvary is in this moment. And he has a stepping out of faith moment. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Dealt with the things that many of us have dealt with. Jesus stands in this moment and Jesus says from the day that he was born, willing to go to the cross. If you've ever been to Israel, you see these steps outside of where the temple was. You can sit on these steps, and it's at these steps that Jesus sat and was left behind by his mom and dad. She comes back, mom and dad come and say, where have you been? And he says, I've been about my father's business. Now that may have caused some confusion for Mary and Joseph because Joseph's business was not at the temple. Joseph's business was out in the shed doing carpentry. But even then, Jesus knew as a young man the call that he had to go and be who he had been called to be. Jesus is there and he looks up to the Father and 
It's in this moment that when he looks up, he doesn't see the Father drawing near to him at Calvary. He sees the Father pouring out his wrath on the cross. It's in this moment that Jesus used to cry out to the Father, and the Father would respond and hear his prayers. But it's now seeming that the Father is not hearing those cries, and the cries from Jesus' mouth are falling on deaf ears. It's in this moment that Jesus reaches out to the heavens and pleads for God to do something. And God the Father doesn't reach back. And it's in this moment that all of the sin of the world is being compounded on to Christ. And one of the last things Jesus says in Luke chapter 23 is, Father, into your what? Hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus at Calvary took the step he made known. Esther didn't know if she was going to perish. Jesus knew he was going to perish, and he still went through with it. You and I don't know if we're going to perish, but we're still hesitant. We just freeze in the moment. Not Jesus. Jesus at Calvary, he took that step. Jesus at Calvary made that first move. Jesus at Calvary received all the sins of the world so that you and me, so that you and I, we could be saved. And he makes this invitation to you. He dies on the cross for you, and he dies on the cross for me. Why? Because of his great love for us, Jesus died for us. This measure of why he died was because of his love for you. He makes this possible to all those who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is the only way they can be saved. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Sure, it can be unknowing and weird to live in these days. I don't know what your last two weeks have been. They've been a little confusing. But God can give you the assurance of faith that when you go public, public, his kingdom shines best. So maybe today is the day that you need to go public. Maybe today is a day like Daniel had today where he was baptized. He came to faith a couple of weeks ago in our service through just a local evangelist having a conversation with him. Maybe today is the day that you step out online and you say, I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. If you'll just type Jesus on there, we'll, we'll contact you with some information about what it means to follow him. Maybe today you just need to come and pray. You're facing your own little crisis. And God is inviting you to come and kneel before him and say, I, I want to trust you with the next step, even if I don't know what the result will be. May we be like Esther in these moments and step out in faith. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we ask that as you are moving and working among us, that God, we be sensitive to your movement. Spirit, the person who's holding fast to the back end of that chair, would they, would they surrender to you today? For the person maybe behind the screen who is nervous about having somebody reach out to them, they don't want to be, it to be awkward and maybe it's a little weird, but God, we're, we're asking that right now they would take that first step. But Father, for all of us in this space, would you give us the room to do what you've called us to do, the business you've called us to have with you. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.